0: Well, if all hearts are free, then we will uh, <clears throat> we'll turn our attention to, uh, to the Word of God. And I would like for you to, if you want to read along with me this morning, I'm going to be in the book of Psalms, Psalms chap- uh, chapter 37, so the 37th division of the Psalms. <clears throat> and we're going to read two verses from this 37th Psalm, uh, verses 23 and 24. And for uh, for many Bible readers, these are going to be familiar verses. Um, they they get used in Sunday school literature quite a bit. Uh, but this is just uh, this is just the direction that I, I, I that I decided to to go with this morning. This was the way that I, uh, I what I felt like needed to be preached on. And starting with that twenty third verse, it says, "The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord." and he delighteth in his way. The 24th verse says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And so let's stop there. And then I would like to read Proverbs from, from the fourth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Hear, O son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. When thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. That's what I would like for us to stop there, and I'd like to use for my thought to come out of that 23rd verse of the 37th division of the Psalms, the steps of a righteous man, or the steps of a good man. The first question is, who is good? Uh, Because we don't have to go very far into that question. do We we can uh, run into some uh, perceived, I I guess, Misconceptions, because Jesus said there is none good, didn't he? Uh, he said there's none good except the Father which is in heaven. So here the psalmist is writing, and he says that the steps of a good man. So what is it that makes somebody good? What is it that makes somebody uh, to a place where the psalmist here, who's divinely inspired by the Spirit of God, uh, would write down, something that seems to be uh counter contrary I guess I should say that way something that seems to be contrary to teachings that Jesus gave now it's not contrary to it um because uh Jesus looked at it remember they came to him as the Pharisees that come to him and said good master and he said why callest thou me good there's none good but the father he's teaching a lesson there um but he's also teaching a truth because uh all of us uh have uh, have uh, fallen short of the glory of God and uh and so We can see that. Uh, All we like sheep have gone astray. Um, We've turned our own way and and we've gone our own path. And uh, a lot of times when we do that, uh, that's when we find ourselves out in the way. But here he says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And well, first and foremost, let's, let's, let's just look and see, well, how is it that a person gets to a place to where Somebody would say that he's a good man, and not just that he's good, but that his steps are ordered by the Lord. Well, I don't think we need to go very far. Uh, we'll just go a couple, a couple chapters over in the, book of, in, the, in the book of Psalms, and we'll go to the 40th division of Psalms. In the 40th division of the Psalms, in the second verse, we have this verse recorded. He brought me up out of an, also out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and establisheth my goings. And so the psalmist in the 40th division of the Psalms is giving you the blueprint, isn't he, for how you get to a place to where the psalmist can look at you in the 37th chapter of the Psalms and say, the steps of a good man. How is it that he's good? It's because he's found himself down in his own way. He's found himself trapped, hadn't he? Uh, he's become ensnared in this, in the pits of his own life. Uh, and in here, in the 40th Division of the Psalms, the author, uh, conveys that sin that has got hold of him as a horrible pit and my reclaim. Now, we can see that very vividly playing out with the prophet Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was thrown down into a pit and was taken up out of the miry clay, and he let literally happened to Jeremiah. But I'm telling you right now, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you've never been saved, you're in that pit.
1: <laughs> you're in that clay. The only difference is you just may not realize that you're in it. You
0: see, once you realize you're in it, and the only way you can realize you're in it is because, is by, you have to have an experience with holiness, don't you? You have to have an experience with the Holy Spirit of God. You have to be, uh, in a place where the Spirit of God is and dwells, and, and that Spirit, when it reveals itself to you, your shortcomings will be, will be manifested plainly in your heart. Now that heart isn't, isn't your aortic pump that lies in your chest. It'll be in your gut because it'll make you
1: sick when you know what condition that you're in. You'll want to run from it. You'll
0: want to do anything to get away from it. But remember this, that unless the Lord lifts you up out of that pit, you'll never be able to have ascribed
1: to you the connotation of a good man or a good woman. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not of
0: man lest any man should boast. It's not of works. You can't work your way into heaven. There's this false connotation in the world that you're going to work your way into heaven. You'll die a very unsatisfied person if you believe you're going to work your way into heaven. Because salvation is by grace through faith. And and so you see here that of being brought up out of the pit and out of the miry clay, all of a sudden God gives you a new foundation to walk on, doesn't He? He says He set me on a... He put my feet upon a rock. Now that's not a little stone like Peter... Because when you read about Peter being the rock, the word that's used to, uh, as Cephas there, it means a stone. And that's actually a pebble. Uh, well, you're not going to be standing on a pebble, are you? You're going to be stood on a great big boulder. <laughs> and, and it's going to be a firm foundation from which you can build the rest of your life on. And yet right there, once you've got a, once you've been established upon that rock, uh, then, then the one that pulled you out of that pit will establish establish your going, and you say, well, what do you mean? Well, the first thing you have to understand is how, how do you get pulled out of that pit? How do you get out of that miry clay in in order to be called a good man? We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to use two verses out of Proverbs 16. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Now that word iniquity, let's use another word for that, sin. By mercy and truth, sin is purged. Now, But we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, is there? So that you've got to look for a sacrifice that is suitable to wash away that sin that you have that's got that feeling down in the pit of your stomach, which that's your spiritual heart, by the way. That's why when you read in Scripture about why fasting is so oftentimes encouraged, it's because denying yourself uh, the ungodliness and th- the things of this world gives us closer to God, doesn't it? When we want to have a revival, I believe... I, I mean, you could just... Disagree with me on this, but I believe fully and firmly uh, that if we want to really have a revival, we should probably spend some time in preparation for it, shouldn't it? And I would, believe, I would say this: I would say if we really fasted and came to revival, uh, really having fasted, and we were really hungry for the Lord to manifest His presence among us, He would, because man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. And so we see here, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from
1: evil. You see how this all ties together? That was what was advocated in the fourth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Enter not
0: into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of the evil man or men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away. Don't even go down that street. Because <laughs> that street ends in the same place, doesn't it? Every time. That street ends in calamity. That that, that street ends in distress and despair. That That's where that road ends. Uh, and, and you can go down it. But you're not going to find a lot of satisfaction and joy there. Uh, you're only going to find joy and satisfaction in the Lord. And so we look here, and he says, uh, uh, he says in the in the fourth chapter of Proverbs again, uh, he's teaching about how you get to this place. And so we we you know we have children, and uh, and you have to teach children how to behave, don't you? And in some senses, I think we're good at that. In some senses, I think we're really lacking. But I always take pride in this. Whenever I talk to somebody outside of the house, and I I use that word loosely, pride, it always makes me surprised, to a certain degree, proud in another instance, when I hear them talk about my kids and they say, your kid is just a perfect angel. And I'm like, which kid? (laughs) And they're like, they never act up in class. They always do this, that, or the other. And I, and for a long, the longest time, I wondered, when do they morph into another person when they walk out the door? <laughs> Is it a portal that changes them? <laughs> and, and I came to this realization. I would much rather see the worst part of them at home and have that not revealed publicly and have their name be looked highly upon publicly and deal with the stuff at home. Because we all got stuff we have to deal with. We've all we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's just a lie to say that we don't have sin. Uh, if we say we don't have sin, then we make God a liar. So we all have sins that we have to deal with. We all have struggles that we struggle with. And so the only question is, how is it that we can deal with those struggles? And God is the one who gives us the ability to deal with those struggles. Now, I've been dubbed a nickname this morning, Crash. (laughs) I've been dubbed a nickname this morning. If you're hitting here, I've been dubbed the nickname Crash because uh, I've had my second accident in about three months or so, give or take. And so, uh, but I'll say this. I will say this in that same line of spirit. And this is not tooting my own horn. This is thanking the Lord. Because when you have anything like that happen, it's very easy to go from... from over here in a good place and then you have something unexpected like that happen to uh, instantly jump over here and be in a bad place instead of just remaining in the good place and seeing the bad that's happening in your life and and being very short-sighted and not being
1: able to see beyond the bad and look toward God for the good that may come out of it. So we canceled church Wednesday because crash did what he did.
0: <sighs> it's nothing major. Just hit a tire retread. I mean, it, it wasn't the end of the world. But now the other two people there, they were really incensed. The lady was very incensed, and she was just going off. And so I got the uh, we got we all we all exchanged text messages and numbers, and and we were uh, we were you know. She worked for a trucking company, and so she was going to contact them, and and all all this stuff was going on. And so, needless to say, I called them, and, and and they're covering all of it. So I'm not worried about that. The Lord made all of that happen. But that lady, she was she called me the next day, and she said, and she's giving me the rundown basically on the trucking company. And I was like, okay. And her name's Kim, and she lives in Murray, and she works for She works for Gary and Janice's neighbor at Taz. <laughs> I can't believe how close that ended up being. But, but uh but anyway, so she works for Taz, and and so she got on the phone with their company, and it was all it all got handled because of that. And so I thank the Lord for how how it got handled. Because the very next morning I already had my car in the shop, had a rental. It was, it was crazy. And uh and so but that's, the, the Lord works in crazy ways, doesn't he? And so she called me back and she said, she's, she's telling me all the particulars that I need to know. And she was like, and she told me where she was on her way to that night, which I didn't really commit to memory. Uh, but I told her, I said, yeah, I, said, I, I was on my way to church that night. I pastored a small church. And she goes, I'm sorry for the way that I talked. <laughs> and I said, well, you don't have to apologize to me. I was like, you didn't offend me. You see, when we sin against God, God's the one who's offended, and that's the one that we have to ask forgiveness for. David said, against thee and thee alone have I sinned. Now, that wasn't true, because he'd also sinned against Uriah in sleeping with Bathsheba and having Uriah killed. So he had to, he had sinned against Uriah too, and but he couldn't make it right with Uriah which is why I believe God had it sealed forever in the records of David's sin. David's sin never departed from the knowledge of the people of Israel, did it? Because in the genealogies, it was listed that Bathsheba was Uriah's wife and that David had born Solomon to Uriah's wife. And so... You know, you just because you're a good man doesn't mean you're not going to sin. But that sin is not going to be easily forgiven. It can be forgiven because we're not held by our own power, and that's one of the other things that is revealed here. Now, this whole part here about this this reconciliation of this iniquity and this forgiveness of sin, Paul, when he was uh, writing to the when he was talking to the church at Ephesus, in Acts chapter twenty. And he, he said this to them. He said, uh, of, of the things that he had done and the things that he had taught them. And one of the things that he said that he was testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you want to ask today,
1: well, how does it, how do you get out of that miry pit of clay? How do you get out of it? Well, when your sin is manifested in your life, what do you do? Do you cling to it? Or do you turn away from it? Because
0: that's what the Lord, that's what the Bible tells us to do, isn't it? That's literally what repentance means is to turn away from sin and turn toward the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying here. That if you want to be saved, that first you've got to repentance has to be toward God. Well, why? Because God is the offended party. We tend to want to think of this relationship between man and God as something more than a relationship that we'd have with anybody else. But if you offend somebody else, you try to make it right with them, don't you? If you have at least an ounce of integrity... In your body, you try to make it right with them. You don't want to have an enemy of them. You want to make it right by them. And God's no different. If you want to make it right with God, you've got to make it right
1: with God. But you've got to know what you did that was wrong, don't you? Everybody sins different. Mine may be different from yours, but
0: we all have some things in common, don't we? But it all falls into three buckets, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the three buckets, really, that that
1: all sin falls into. And so now, if that sin
0: gets revealed and you get under conviction, and that's going to be that horrible feeling in in your heart, in the pit of your stomach, that feeling that you're it just makes you sick. Sometimes it may it, it actually will make you afraid. Uh you'll want to run from it. Uh but you, what you actually need to do is run toward it, isn't it? I tried to run from it for a long time. Well, a long time, 2 weeks. <laughs> I tried to do anything I could to get away from it. TV to keep my mind occupied. Anything at all. There was nothing I could do to get away from it. And so here we see uh, where uh, we're going to read about that establishment, right? Because we remember that he said he's going to establish us. He's going to lift us up out of that horrible pit, out of that miry clay, and put us on a firm foundation, put us on a rock. Well, Christ is that rock. Now, he which establisheth us with you in Christ hath anointed us as God, and who hath also sealed us. And so this is really important. This is a really important point here. Because you may say, well, okay, preacher, I can't save myself. I acknowledge that. Salvation is by grace. The Bible clearly says that in Ephesians chapter
1: 2, 8 and 9. But then I've got to work to keep it. Well, I can understand that mindset. But if you've got to work to keep it, i got news for you. You can't do it. You can't. All we like sheep have gone astray.
0: We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. If Even if you have to keep it, you won't, you won't get saved. You won't make heaven. You see, that's the eternal security of the believer. And once God's lifted you up out of that horrible pit and out of that miry clay and has established your foundation on a firm rock and has established your goings, He's yours, isn't He? And you say, well, that's just not true. Well, you may you may want to disagree with me on this, but I believe I can prove it. Because if you can't keep your salvation, then nobody's worthy of... To worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody's worthy to worship God if you can't see if you can't keep it. If it's something that's fleeting, something that comes and something that goes. And there are people that believe that you may get saved seven times in a church service. Uh I'm sorry that doesn't happen. Just the way that you're naturally born one time, you are spiritually born one time. Uh, and uh and you're and when he brings you out of
1: that pit, he brings you out of that pit once, doesn't he? Now, I was breached both times, but I came out of the, I came out of the way. I came out either the way. And now, I, I want to show you here
0: the 24th verse. This is why the 24th verse is important in that, in that 37th division of the Psalms. Because it says the step, the 23rd, have, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. But what's the 24th verse say? Though we fall. Fall into what? Fall into temptation. Fall into sin. Fall into whatever it is that may get a hold of him. Now, that's not God's will that we would become entangled in the yoke of the world again, but it happens, doesn't it? And you don't need to look any further than David to see that manifest. Here David was, Samuel, sent to find the next king of Israel. And God said, this king is going to be a king after my own heart. But here David is in a time of prosperity, in a time of ease, even though they're at war, the battlefront is far removed from where he is. He's up on his rooftop and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba and
1: he lusts after her and he sins for her and he commits the act, doesn't he? And it wasn't until after he had had Uriah killed that the, that the prophet Nathan came
0: to him and revealed to him that God knows the sin that you have committed. Now, remember, this is David. And so if you want to say you're going to lose it, then you've got to say that David isn't in heaven today. Because David, he broke the whole law. And James tells us that if a man desires to keep the law and offend in one point, he's guilty of the whole law. You see, but mercy rejoiceth against justice, doesn't it? Or against judgment. Let me say that another way. The mercy that God grants you when He pulls you out of that horrible pit and out of that miry clay triumphs over the judgment that waits at the end, doesn't it? Because first, what do we see written in the great white throne of judgment? That all flesh is judged, all flesh is judged by the books, aren't they? Or they're judged according to the books. But it's not until another book is opened that is determined whether or not they make an entry into heaven or not. That is the Lamb's book of life, isn't it? And of course, we're talking about in the flesh. Uh, When the Lamb's Book of Life is open, uh, which how do you get it written there? Well, I believe it's written in blood, but
1: it's not my blood. (laughs) When the Lamb's Book of Life is open, if your name is not written in that book,
0: it doesn't matter the works you did. It doesn't matter. It does not matter how desperately desirous you were to be seen as religious. There'll be a lot of religious people that stand on the left hand at the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name cast out many demons, and in thy name done many good works? And what are they going to hear? They're going to hear the Lord say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, that's that's something that I want. That's a real thought that I want to try to get across to you this morning. Is hell was not prepared for for one human to inhabit. That was never part of God's will. Hell was created as a place of eternal punishment and torment for Satan and the angels that followed after him out of heaven. It's not written in stone. God doesn't decree that anybody should go to hell. Contrary to some theologians, God's desire is that all would be saved. And so we look here, and we say, well, what about, well, why, well, why did this
1: good man fall? Why did he fall into sin? Well, I guess his teaching wasn't right,
0: was it? That's why I really wanted to pair this with Proverbs. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings. You know, when you read the law, when you read the Ten Commandments, there's a switch about the fifth about the fifth commandment, isn't there? When it says, "Obey thy mother and thy father," and the Bible tells us that that's the first. The Bible tells us that's the first commandment with a promise and your days will be long on the earth. If you do what you're, if you just obey your parents, you'll live a long life, won't you? And I would say this, you'll probably be more prosperous than you would have if you did the opposite. Now that's not all parents. (laughs) We have to remember that parents are human. But in general, if you do, if you live your life in a way, when you go out and you behave yourself, if your thought is, "I do not want this to speak badly about my mother and my father," and in the West we've gotten so far away from that mindset to a to a negative degree that it, that we don't care if what we do or what we do or if our action speaks badly of our parents. When you are out there, whatever it is that you engage in. You are declaring what your parents taught you. And if you engage in things that you ought not, then you're saying, well, my mom and dad said that this is okay. When you know they didn't. He says, receive my sayings and the years of thy life shall be many. See, that's, that's how you tie that in with my, you obey your mother and your father and you'll live, and you'll live long upon the earth and your, and your days will be long. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom, and I have led thee in the right paths. When thou goest in those right paths, right? That's not down any street. That's when you, when you walk in the right paths, when you walk uprightly before God, and how is it that you know you're walking uprightly before
1: God? You know you're not hiding anything, don't you? He says, thy steps shall not be straightened. Now, I want to I clean that up a little bit. What he's really
0: meaning there is they won't be hindered. You won't, you, won't, you won't encounter a hindrance.
1: You know, the hindrances mainly come when you're trying to do something you know you're not supposed to do, don't they?
0: When thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble then the 13th verse is really important. Take hold of instruction. That's exactly what God told Joshua to do, wouldn't it? To take the words of the books that Moses had written, the law, and do not let them depart from your mouth. Constantly be in the Word. Study in the Word so that you can do and excel to the degree, Joshua, that I am planning to do with you. But all of that is dependent. All of that, we have to remember, is dependent upon the Lord establishing us and keeping us. Because you see, when we know we're established by the Lord and we're kept by the power of God, then that sets us free, doesn't it? To do things above and beyond what we ever dreamed possible. And that's not a reason for us to boast or to glory in. That's a reason for us to give glory back to God, isn't it? Because He's given us the
1: ability to do it. So He sealed us. We have an inheritance that's uncorruptible
0: incorruptible, undefiled, and it fadeth not away. This is what Peter wrote. And it, re- it is reserved in heaven who are kept by the power of God. So that's just to kind of drive home that that knowledge. You are not keeping yourself. If you think I'm keeping myself saved, that's the same thing as saying I'm going to save myself. You have no part in whether or not you get saved. It's God who does the saving. God's the one who creates a new creature in Christ, isn't it? Do the powers of creation lie with us? No, they only lie with with God.
1: And they're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Now,
0: I wanted to. I touched on the the learning part because it's it's equally as important. We have a tendency to focus on that saving part, and that saving part is extremely important. But I'll tell you right now, that learning part. When you read about that verse there in the thirty seventh Psalm, though he fall, why does he fall? He probably fell because of a lack of instruction. That's why we went down that road, and that's what the prophet Hosea says. Hosea says this in chapter four, verse six: My people are destroyed for. A lack of knowledge. And that's what we talked about in Sunday school this morning, isn't it? Why is it that we see churches uh, dwindling away? Uh, why is it that we see society going off the rails? Well, it's because the knowledge and wisdom of God has been
1: thrown out the window, hasn't it? Man has decided they know better.
0: And we should know from history that that only ends in one way, doesn't it? It only ends one way. And so here we are this morning. And you may be here today, and you may be saved. And that's fantastic. I'm so thankful that the Lord saved your soul. But what what are you doing with your salvation? Because there's a verse of scripture that gets so misinterpreted so many times, and it's where Paul writes and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying that you gotta work to get salvation there. He's saying work out it. And, and just in the same vein, if I were to tell you to go to the gym and work out your body, Paul is saying take that faith that you have been given, that salvation that you have been provided, and put it to use. But put it to use with fear and trembling. And what's he mean? With reverence and with an urgency. So when you know you've got to do something quickly, you have an urgency about you, don't you? don't sit around on your salvation and just put it on a shelf or put it under a bushel uh, so that nobody can see it what does Jesus tell us to do in the Sermon on the Mount? Put your candlestick on the candle so that it giveth light to all that are in the house we take our salvation and we just kind of hide it away and we say well I'm glad I got that and I'm going to put it in this drawer so that it doesn't go anywhere and we, we we don't understand that what we're doing in that moment is we're making ourselves exactly like the one who God gave one talent to and he took that talent and he hid it in the ground. He says, because I knew that you were a fearful man, an austere man, uh, a man who, was, uh, who, who would want it back one day. I'm going to paraphrase it. And so I hid it in the ground and here is your one talent. And what did he say? Thou fool, <laughs> you lazy fool. You are supposed to take that talent and use it to gain another talent the same way the one that got 10 did, the same way the one that got 5 did. You're supposed to take those investments that God's made in you and, and put them to use, aren't you? Too many times we want to take our salvation and put it in a drawer and say, Lord, it's right there. When you come back, I've got it waiting. I'll give it to you when it comes back. And, and and we don't realize oftentimes that's not what God intends for us to do. He expects you to use it, doesn't he? You see, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's why if we go over to the the second chapter of Ephesians, we we tend to just pretend that it ends at verse 9. And so we know verse 8 and 9. We know them by heart, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. uh, It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know
1: that, uh, but the tenth verse says this. It says, for we are his workmanship. Now, if you're here and lost, you're not his
0: workmanship. <laughs> you're down in the pit and you need, to be, you need the Lord to pull you out of the pit. When he pulls you out of the pit, guess what? He will start the process of making you a workman to be in his vineyard, won't he? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And that's what you are if you've been saved. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old leaven needs to be purged away that you can be the new lump. And that's why I said what I said about fasting. <laughs> it's not that I'm saying, hey, let's, we got to go, we got to fast. But I'm saying when we think about words we use every day, we don't understand the connotation sometimes. Like
1: the word breakfast. What's the word breakfast mean? Break fast. That's a daily fast, isn't it? So it doesn't say that the fast has to be for forty days.
0: <laughs> Deny yourself. Draw closer to the Lord. That's what we. That's what we should be. That's what we should do.
1: For you are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus, unto Good works.
0: And not only that, but he hath ordained that we we should walk in good works, shouldn't we? Those are the paths that a good man walks in. Uh, And does that mean that a good man falls? Absolutely he can fall. Not from grace, but he can fall in the standing of the eyes of the people around him. You see, if I say he falls from grace, then I don't believe he's kept by the power of God. When Scripture says that He's kept by the power of God. It's not that you won't ever do anything wrong. Only a fool would believe that. If you look at your pastor and say, Well, there's he's a pastor, he never does anything wrong. I want you to talk to my wife for about 15 minutes. Probably will only take
1: you five. <laughs> Well, let's finish this up. Let's wrap this up.
0: What about the steps of a good man? The psalmist says that the Lord delighteth in His way. And that's what we should be looking to do, isn't it? When we worship God, we should be looking to worship God, not just on Sunday, not the day that we assemble together, not Sunday night, not Wednesday night, only those times. Every day that we live, we should be looking to worship God in the way that we live our life, in the manner of our conversation. And what that really means is the way we conduct ourselves. And so we should always be speaking well of our Father, shouldn't we? For when they see your good works, they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Why is that? Because
1: the works that you do get ascribed to your Father, don't they? And God delights in Him
0: when you do it and they look at it and they say, well, well praise the Lord. <laughs> when they glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so if you're here today and you're lost, you've got to seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul. I can't tell you anything any more plainly than that. And what does that mean? Because we get into a lot of rhetoric. That means when you get under conviction, that's that... Feeling that you know that you've sinned against God, uh, that's when you've got to get down and you've got to start praying for forgiveness. And where is where is the altar that you bow at? Well, you can bow here, uh, but this bench isn't going to save anybody. There's no God in this bench, just like there's no God in the wafer or the loaf in the Catholic Church. Uh, But. where do you find it? Well, wherever you bow down and you actually get to a place where you can let go of yourself and completely turn away
1: from what you've been and turn toward God and see what you can be. It's abundantly greater than what you, could have, than what you are. I, I, people say all the
0: time, "I'd rather just have fun." Well, go ahead; you'll have fun for a little while here, but you won't be having fun in eternity the way you think it is, because ain't no party going on in hell. Ain't no party. Ain't ain't happening. Well, the rich man didn't wake up in hell and go, "Woo! This is a great place to be." Did he? He won't. He was in torment in those flames, and so that's. Uh, that's, what I want to, that's the goal, isn't it? That we would bring joy, that we would please the Lord. What's the whole duty of man? That we would obey the commandments, that we would please the Lord our God, right? And so that's our message this morning. If you're here today and you're lost, then we would certainly encourage you to seek God for salvation. I don't care where you're at. God can save you anywhere. Make an altar. Wherever you get under conviction, that's where you need to make an altar. You need to get down. You need to pray until God gives you an answer. What I always told Lily: Do not be satisfied until God gives you an answer. You remember the night that she got saved? She was up here what
1: two or three hours? <laughs> that was a great night, wasn't it? There was a joy, or
0: there, not because it's my daughter, but because there was one that got saved. I felt the same way the following Friday when Sister Shirley Hoag's Grandson got saved, and I want to see more get saved, but they're not going to get saved if they don't get under conviction. It's just not going to happen. You have got to understand that you're in that horrible my repenting, and if you, if you and then and then once you have that knowledge, you've got a desire to be out of it, don't you? And you got to seek God for
1: Him to lift you out by His hand. That's our message this morning, Brother Rick. If you've got a song.